very rarely you're going to meet somebody that you are 100% in alignment with yeah. and you think like them. My guess is that they're going to be in many ways different than you. They're going to be able to help you and you're going to be able to help them, but it's going to require that ability to receive advice, to put your pride aside and realize just because I'm a man doesn't mean I know everything hmm. or just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I understand everything. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo, and today we're continuing a small series on the different stages of relationships from dating to pre-marriage to being newly married, and then finally into long-term success in marriage. And so in the last episode, we had just begun some questions that you can ask in your dating relationship. And basically, Leo said, before you ask some of these questions, you've got to have a foundation in your relationship. So don't ask some of these week one or week two. But as you've grown and gotten to know each other, and as you've deepened that relationship, and you've uh, built some strong equity in the relationship, then you can cross some of these heavier bridges and begin to actually deal with some of the things that are going to impact your lifelong relationship. So we've been asking questions, and Leo, anything that stood out to you, or should we jump right into these questions? I think the one that I probably like the most is the the area about debt and whether you are planning on accruing more debt. And that's such an important thing because it can be such a devastating thing to have to deal with that if you've not discussed it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it was interesting in the last episode where we were going through and just saying, all right, if we both are coming in with two different lists of debt, let's combine that into one mm -hmm. and create a plan for the two of us to knock that out together and agreeing potentially to not take on any more debt before you get married. Right. That way, nobody is walking into something unexpected. So the next question really lines up with that. And it's, do you have an auto loan or is your car paid for? Mm. And this is a great thing to ask the person that you're looking to marry. Um, and not just that, but how often do you plan to replace your vehicles? That's a very important question right there. <laughs> and this is going to give you some deep insight into who they are. Because let's say that somebody has 10, 15, 20, 30,000 dollars of debt, uh, but they're willing to pay it off and knock it out and sacrifice and drive older vehicles and wait a longer period or just of time. Hold on to them. Hold longer, on to their vehicle. Right. right. That doesn't scare me as much as somebody who today has no debt but plans to replace their vehicle every two to five years. Yeah. That or, would or make me nervous. Or just continue to lease vehicles because the oh, cost yeah. is going to be much different, right? So that's really the thing that you're trying to discover is. What is this person's habits when it comes to cars? Yeah. Because it has a significant, we've talked about this on this show many, many times, that cars and transportation is one of the bigger expenses. So if somebody has a perspective of, I want to drive a newer car all the time, they're probably going to gravitate toward a lease, which means they make a big payment up front, two to $3,000, and then they're paying so much per month for you know, 36, 48 months, and then they'll do it again and again and again. So really what they're doing is somewhat renting a vehicle. And that's right. going to be more than just buying a vehicle, even an expensive vehicle, let's say a $30,000 vehicle that you pay off over five, six years, but then you hold on to for 12 years. So that that's such an important thing to understand. And it's really an important thing that both of you understand because you may have different desires here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember spending time with somebody who had just gotten out of college and they bought a $50,000 vehicle 
while they were earning, I think, $40,000 a year. Mm. And hey, I'm not really sure how the car manager was able to set up that financing in the first <laughs> place. Um, but I just remember being so shocked that the person had paid $50,000 for a car. And um, I, I just was personally thinking, like, I would not be able to marry this person if this is their long-term mentality. Now, maybe they made a bad decision, and, and I wasn't dating them at the time, but I was just actually thinking, like, <laughs> I wouldn't want to marry somebody who makes decisions like this. Right. Um, and I kept it to myself. I wasn't rude. But that's what was going through my head is I'm just thinking, wow, yeah. that's scary to me. Uh, now, maybe they make a bad decision, and then they change their pattern, and that's great. We can all learn and sure. grow and we be redeemed. We all make mistakes, and uh, if we learn from them, it's a good thing. Yeah, so I wouldn't hold a bad decision against somebody forever, but I would put that into the risk meter of, okay, I'm about to enter a committed relationship with this person. What's their temperament on debt? Yeah, that's good. You'll notice that as we go through these questions, they get a little more difficult and a little bit harder to discuss. One of the ones that we unfortunately have to talk about is, do you owe the IRS money? <laughs> Do you owe money to your parents? Do you have any other loans, right? So it's really just digging deeper, trying to find out if if there is uh, some debt that this person may not want to talk about or may want to hide until later. You just don't want those kind of surprises. Yeah. When, when you talk about do you owe your parents any money, are there any other um, relational strings that are there with the parents that you need to be aware of? Because sometimes parents will come in and they will have expectations on their children on where they're going to live, on what they're going to drive, and the parents will actually expect something of those kids that maybe they can't afford to do. Or the parents plan to give something to their child, and that gift can heavily influence the finances of a newly married couple. And maybe they're saying it's a gift, but really they're gifting you with a huge loan. Well, if you take on a loan from your parents or your parents-in-law, it can totally change the way Thanksgiving dinner tastes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because you might want to go on vacation and they're looking at you across from the turkey and the stuffing and they're saying, well, why are you going on vacation when you owe us money? And so some families have a different definition of what a gift is. Mm. If, if Ashley's parents wanted to gift us some cash, that'd be wonderful. But if they wanted to gift us a $15,000 loan, that would be less exciting for me and yeah. probably something that we'd turn, well, definitely something that we'd turn down yeah. uh, together based on our principles. Yeah, I understand. So here's one more question. If previously married, what monthly obligations need to be budgeted for? You know, in this situation, you may have uh, someone that has been married before. If it was a guy, maybe he's got child support payments, right? Yeah. If it's a woman, she may have some kind of money coming in for child support, right? So this is going to make a big difference because if there is expenses that need to go out from now a combined income, you know, there's going to be some hard feelings or potentially yeah. some hard feelings, especially if you don't talk about them and understand the weight of that and right. how that's actually going to affect your overall budget together. And I think that's the healthy thing is having this conversation before you get married right. and realizing, okay, I'm marrying into a blended family where potentially my new spouse has kids with someone else and they're going to be making payments until that child is 18 to take care of that child. And that's going to affect the new family unit. Yes. And, and there may be some resentment or some pain that comes up from those relationships mm -hmm but you're marrying that person and everything that comes with them. Right. And you have to be aware of that before you make that decision. I remember one situation where um, a couple was planning to get married, but they were going to wait for over a year longer than they originally planned because the woman was receiving alimony from mm. her previous marriage. Yeah. 
and they couldn't they didn't earn enough combined to be outproduce the alimony that she was getting <laughs> she from was her ex-husband right yeah, and sense. so i mean i get that financially but honestly if you're in love and you're going to get married yeah. cut your lifestyle and go get married don't delay your marriage so that you can pull money from a previous relationship just at the larger sum of money i mean uh, that's my initial thought every situation is different but just be aware. Be aware that alimony may be owed, child support may be owed, there may be back taxes somewhere. And and that's why the credit score can be helpful and get you some data on this situation. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you just want to highlight the situation and, and understand that there can be some difficult situations that you have to navigate through if you just don't take the time to discuss these things. So these questions are really just to open up an opportunity for you to be able to be honest with each other and find that agreement early on, which is going to keep your marriage solid and it's going to help you make good financial decisions. Yeah. Well, the next one is a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more vision casting related. And it's what are the first three money goals that you have as a couple? So this is this is a ton of fun. Sit mm-hmm. down and begin to prioritize. What do we love? What are we excited about? Uh, maybe as we're dating, a major goal is to pay cash for the wedding. It's a good goal. And it sounds like that's what it was for you, Leo. Yes. You guys, you worked three jobs. Uh, Natalie worked two jobs. Mm-hmm. And you guys saved up a ton to knock out that wedding. Yep before taking on debt. I mean, then not taking on debt. That's, that's one incredible. That's one good thing we did is we actually did not borrow for, for our wedding, which yeah. was really beyond our, our wisdom because <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure why we did it, but we did it and we're really glad we did. That's so cool. Another great uh, goal could be just to save a $1,000 emergency fund mm-hmm. and save that's going to be the first thing that we plan to do. And then from there, we're going to grow it. Another great goal might be combining your accounts this is a no brainer. You have to do this when you get married. Uh, but it could be a goal in the first couple of months to say, this is one of the first things we're going to do is go down to the bank with our new names and get this all put in paper so that we both have easy access to the accounts. So there's a bunch of great goals. We'll talk about some, uh, vision casting and values in the next episode. Uh, then so let's just move right on to the next question. Yeah, that's good. So another question is how do you feel about giving to God first? You know, There are people who like to tithe and believe in that. That's a principle, something they do not want to violate. you got to make sure that your spouse is in agreement with you when it comes to that. Because I know many couples that I've counseled over the years where the husband was adamant that he did not want to give 10%, uh, whereas the wife felt convicted that she needed to. And it's a very difficult situation in a marriage because it causes this division. It's almost like the wife feels like, in this situation, the wife felt like, do I honor God but dishonor my husband? Like, what is the right answer? And it's really a difficult answer uh, because she's supposed to honor her husband. So the answer is that, no, you can tithe. But then that makes her feel like she's not being faithful. So if you are a believer and this is an important thing to you, you need to discuss this topic. This is not going to go away. Just like many of these questions will reveal things that you realize they're not going to go away. They need to be dealt with. But it's a relevant an important question, especially for those that, that are believers. Yeah. Well, and for Ashley and I, it's something that we agreed on before we got married. But there was a time where you know, I didn't fully understand the principle of giving and putting God first and giving a 10%, the first portion, that tithe, mm-hmm. and just giving it to the Lord, just returning it to the Lord. And I didn't fully comprehend that. And if we weren't on the same page, that would have been a huge struggle because 
previously before understanding it, I struggled with fear and security, Mm -hmm. insecurity, right? And not having, finding my security in money. And so uh, today it's a no brainer. It's literally the first thing that goes out of our account. We set it up even before the paycheck lands, we've already done the transaction to begin setting up in the bank that the first 10% is going to go out because that's important to us. And so we want to put God first in everything that we do. And that's our conviction. That's our belief. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if one of us didn't have that, it would have made for a little, well, for a much more difficult difficult road right. on having healthy finances together. Yeah, I agree. Here's another one. How do you feel about using credit cards regularly? Do you think it's okay to keep a running balance that never gets paid in full? Why or why not? Right? I mean, this is this is a totally different perspective than I want everything paid off at the end of a month. I don't want to pay any interest. These are totally two different perspectives and you got to make sure that you understand which one your spouse gravitates toward yes yes so uh number 14 is where do you want to live uh for example a house in the suburbs or an uptown loft Mm -hmm. you know do we want an apartment do we want to buy a home right away what's the plan uh how are you going to pay for it right are you aware that housing should be no more than 35 percent of your net take home pay well, that's a big deal because a lot of times it's like, oh, I really want to live here and I want to have this size home and I want to be in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to put healthy boundaries around this, 35% of our take-home pay, yeah. let's talk about that. And what can we actually afford? And that will help us to dictate, do we go in the middle of the city? Do we get a small one-bedroom loft? Or do we get to have a few more bedrooms in that in that new home? Yeah. And the finances will dictate that, right? Yes. But if you never ask the question and you never consider that healthy 35% or lower, then there's a good chance. In fact, I would say there's a pretty much 99% chance that you will definitely go above that 35%, which will make it much more difficult on your finances long-term. And you can just dream together a little bit here. You know, long-term, if you had absolute full desires fulfilled, where would you live? And maybe it's out in the country. uh, Maybe it's in the city. And that's a great thing just to know about your spouse. A lot of these questions are fun date questions that can also go into a deeper financial understanding, which is kind of cool. Well, I think what's great about it is that it helps you not only just understand the financial side of how your uh, future spouse is thinking, but more about who they are. Yeah. Because we know that finances are not just transactions. They're about values. They're about who we are at the core of who we are. We make decisions because of who we are, not because of just financial transactions. So I think it's a great great thing to talk about. Again, once you get to know each other and you start to go in that deeper level of trust and understanding, this is just a no-brainer. Yeah. Because it's going to reveal some things that would be really, really good for you to know. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just another question that is basic for every uh, couple that's planning to get married is, do you want to have kids? How many do you want to have? Uh, do you both expect to keep working or will one of you stay home to raise the children uh, once you have kids? Yeah. So then you've got to begin to ask, well, can we live on one income? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from the very beginning of our relationship, Ashley and I did plan for her to stay at home when we have kids. And that was something that's really, really deeply important to her. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great idea. Uh, So she plans to homeschool the kids as they grow. And so from the very beginning, we lived on my income. Mm -hmm. And we set aside her income towards savings or debt reduction and beginning to do different things. But we never lived on that income. So when we said 35% of our take-home pay, we didn't look at all of our take-home pay. We mm-hmm. looked at my paycheck yep. and said, okay, what can we afford? 
a really small one bedroom apartment in a mediocre apartment complex. Great. Yeah. That'll do. And yeah. and we were there for two and a half years yeah. until my paycheck went up and until we could look at some other options because we were living from the very beginning planning for one income. All right. So I, we need to deviate just a bit from our script here because I think that's such an important thing to touch on. Uh, I know most couples who get married have these dreams. I know we did about creating this beautiful life for yourselves where you have a nice home, you can raise up kids and have as many as you desire. But this idea of living on one income is an old one. I remember when I was growing up and I first started listening to financial education, that this is something that was recommended to to me as I was uh, being taught on this. But nowadays, I think it's a really foreign concept. There are more women working today than ever before, uh, more career-driven people than yeah. ever before. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not right. saying it's that. It's great in the marketplace. Absolutely. Yeah. But but realize that the cost of living and the cost of housing, especially, just in our area, you cannot build a home in Keller where we live for less than four hundred fifty to 500000 Well, if, you're, if that's 35% of one person's income instead of two, that's almost impossible unless it's a very you know large income. So it changes some things, but there's such a benefit and so much wisdom and security uh, to create that margin and say, hey, we may both work for a season, but let's just live on one. Because if we choose to live on one, right, and we have two, then you've got a ton of margin. You could do some great things. If you choose to live on both, but then one of you needs to stay home or has to stay home, then you've kind of put yourself in a situation that's going to be really difficult to get out of. So something to consider, something that I think is very wise. And David, you and Ashley, I believe, uh, did the right thing to, to talk about it, but then actually to, to live it out. Yeah. And that's really a good thing. Thank you. And it it's really cool because if you are able to save that much, like a whole paycheck, mm -hmm. A, you can knock out debt really fast. You can begin to save down payments on a home very quickly. Uh, you can set up long-term success because once you put a, a big down payment on a home, then your home payment is lower. Yeah. And so it's easier to live on one income. It takes right. a lot of sacrifice on the front end, but over time it makes your life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And if you look at some of the retirement charts, um, there, are, there's one by a guy named Mr. Money Mustache that yeah. he put out and he showed the savings rate. And if you were to save 10% of your income, it could take you 50 years until you can retire based on what you saved. Right. But if you save 30% of your income, you can retire in less than 30 years. Mm -hmm. So you could go from 20 to 50 and potentially retire because you learn to live on way less. That also means that in retirement, you don't need to live on as much, so you don't have to draw down on your savings as right, much. Right. So it's just really neat. The more you can save, he shows if you put away 50% of your income, you could retire in less than about 17 years. Right. So that's just that goes back to another episode. But the idea there is that if you can sacrifice and live on one income, it can do all sorts of really cool things for your life. Well, something that just occurred to me, when Natalie started working after staying home with the kids for a few years, her income for the first year and a half went to pay off the remainder of our mortgage. Yes. So in a, in a year and a half's time, we had, I, I forget, it was somewhere around 60 some thousand dollars with, on our mortgage at that point, and we paid it off in a year and a half. So that's really what we're talking about. You, you wonder how somebody can pay off a house in seven to eight years. Well, when you buy it based on one income and you throw the other income at it, right. then it's very easy to it do. It goes away very quickly. Yeah. Yep. 
So another one that's really important is have you discussed the need for life insurance when kids come? Mm. Uh, so if you're planning to have kids, and that was the last question, uh, are you then ready to buy life insurance and make sure they're taken care of and prepared for? And have you ever even thought about life insurance? Yeah. Uh, if you've got a very young couple, most of the time they've never had to deal with insurance at all. And so learning about life insurance is a big thing. Um, will you have enough insurance proceeds to replace your income if something happens to you, because that's the goal of the life insurance. Right. So sitting down with uh, the love of your life and looking them in the eyes and having this conversation, okay, what do we believe about insurance? How are we going to replace your income if something happens to mm -hmm. you? Hopefully nothing ever will. Right. But let's put a plan in place so that the kids are taken care of and that both spouses are taken care of if something happens to either one. Yeah, that's great. Here's the last question that we're going to recommend. How will you regularly share your financial account information with each other so you both know how much you have and where it is located? And what about account passwords? I mean, just being able to have, again, full exposure. Uh, I think it's so important. I mean, you're trusting each other, right, with the most intimate things. This is Money is an intimate thing. Yes. Not having separate accounts. We talked about everything's combined. It's important that as you make that transition from dating to getting engaged and then eventually saying I do is that you begin to combine this and that you are transparent and start talking because it's going to require that transparency to begin to plan forward. Yeah, the great exchange of passwords. <laughs> uh, this is a big deal these days. I, I remember, you know, if you if you look back 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have a ton of online accounts with right. a ton of passwords. Right. But now, if you're about to get married uh, or you're dating somebody, at what stage in the relationship do you exchange passwords? That's a big question because I <laughs> yeah, remember I giving know. Ashley the password to my Facebook account and giving her the access to my email account and just, hey, we're one and I'm not going to hide anything from you. Right. But you don't do that you know, in the first 10 dates. But when do you do that? And it's probably right when you get married as you make that exchange. But I'm pretty sure we did it a little bit before then because we were engaged. We knew we were going to get married. Yeah. We had a plan in place. Uh, so there's A, all the social media stuff. And then B, obviously all the financial things. Yep. And yep. that is a huge deal. But it is. That's a fun... That's a, I remember those moments of thinking, okay, are we ready? Are we ready for me to give her my password <laughs> and her to give me her password? It was, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So here's the thing. As you're going through these questions, if you notice that there's a significant difference in your views, what do you do? You know, what are, what are your options here? I think the first thing is to think about the issue. You know, if you recognize this is a problem in the way you look at the situation or recognize that they have a problem, the best thing that you both can do is acknowledge you know, that maybe you were raised to be thinking this way. And maybe your thinking isn't 100% correct. Right. And it's time to be open to receiving some advice, to receiving a different perspective, to together start talking through some of these. And, and maybe even as David and Ashley did, take a course on personal finances. So it's not you telling your future spouse how they should manage the money and it's not vice versa, but yet you're listening to a, an unbiased um person or somebody that can help you really walk through this in a way that's going to help you to understand. Uh, I even put together a very brief course called Budget Like a Ninja. And it's very basic. It's just a few videos with some tools that'll help you to learn how to create a budget. Yeah. And so it's not a, it's not rocket science. And it's a, is, is that right? Rocket science or rocket surgery or whatever? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'm getting confused with that. That's great. Uh, anyway, but my point is, folks, is that you begin to really be open to change because it's going to require change. Very rarely you're going to meet somebody that you are 100% in alignment with yeah. and you think like them. 
My guess is that they're going to be in many ways different than you. They're going to be able to help you, and you're going to be able to help them. But it's going to require that ability to receive advice, to put your pride aside and realize, just because I'm a man doesn't mean I know everything, Hmm. or just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I understand everything. So I think it's just an important part as you're going through these questions. Don't let it be a source of a conflict. Let it be a source of, you know, really just giving you an opportunity to talk through things and begin to start thinking the same. Yeah. It's going to require that if you're going to have a strong and successful marriage. Yeah, I recommend taking the top five episodes from our playlist of 60 plus episodes and mm-hmm. saying, okay, you know, what are the five things that we need to learn together the most? Right. And each of you, you know, listen to it on your drive into work or on your daily commute or on a walk. And then before dinner, sit down and talk about that episode together. And what did it make you feel? What are the thoughts and emotions that you had around the topic? So you choose. Choose your favorite five episodes and make sure you listen to the same ones. Uh, But that can be a great way to have some really healthy communication on finances. Uh, You can also go to gatewaypeople.com to the stewardship ministry. Mm -hmm. And you could also just Google gateway stewardship And under our guides and resources, you'll see a bunch of the questions that Leo and I talked about. You'll see a bunch of videos and tools, net worth calculators, things that you can dig into. So go to leosabo.com and get all of the information and resources on his website. But choose an authority Mm -hmm. and let that authority speak into your life. Be open to receiving advice. All right. So if you're ready to say, I do, then let's look at the things you need to think of leading up to the wedding. I remember David and I both have taught this class in the past, this pre-marriage class that David mentioned in the last episode. And in the uh, class itself, there's a little, um, I guess they're called vows, right? I mean, they're they're these vows that have to do with finances. And they're typical to the vows that you would take, of course, when you get married. So there's kind of a funny disclaimer that we both would make, which is to say that even though we're ordained ministers, we're going to have them say their vows, but they're not going to be married that yeah, day. <laughs> this is a class, like, you know, <laughs> in the middle of a Sunday today. morning. We're not marrying you right now. We might be ministers, but you're not married officially. Right. <laughs> so this is what we would have them repeat after us. And I would say, I promise in front of God and these witnesses to communicate with you openly and honestly about our finances and to always seek and respect your input concerning financial decisions till death do us part. And I think that's somewhat comical, but it's really so important because communicating and staying open and honest about your finances is the only way you're going to win with money. It's the only way you're going to have this area of your life that could be such a huge source of conflict be just the opposite. It could be something that could draw you together and really bond you together strongly. Yeah. Uh, So just imagine that you're in a pre-marriage class and you've got to say this out loud to the person that you're planning to marry. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to say that? Would you be able to say, I promise to communicate with you, to be open and honest? That's sharing passwords Mm -hmm. about our finances, (laughs) to always seek and respect your input, to not disown or push away that person's input um, till death do us part. I mean, this is strong language, and we would use it in the class to see, okay, am I really ready to make those commitments? Because when I do say I do... Then I'm making that commitment. So how about before I get to the aisle, I begin to practice that out loud a little bit and say, okay, no, I really trust this person and I really am ready to become one with them. So uh, really quickly, Leo, what are some of the things that we need to think about leading up to the wedding? Before we say I do, we know we've got this huge wedding coming up. And what are the costs that we've got to consider? How does that work? I mean, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? I mean, that's the first financial challenge you're going to have together before you actually say I do. It really was. It was our first budget. You're making so many financial decisions. 
And for us, you know, we didn't have our parents pay a portion of that. We had a little bit of help, but for the most part, it was something we owned. So we had to have a lot of conversations. And I'll tell you, the last couple of weeks before we got married, and I'm sure every couple who's gone through this, and those of you who have not gone through this, just take this as a little bit of a warning. You're, there's going to be some very stressful times that last two weeks. I'm not just talking about relationships and who Aunt Susie is going to be sitting next to. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the financial stress that a wedding brings on. Yeah. Because those numbers add up. We're going to touch on some of these. But just to tell you that there's a, you know, there's a cost, uh, an average cost for weddings today. And it's about $30,000. <laughs> it's a lot of Unbelievable. money. Unbelievable, yeah. Now, you can do it for way less than that. And, of course, you can do it for way more than that. Of course. But that's the average. Now, personally, I think you should shoot for less than that. I, I like that I idea. Just, I don't like the idea of spending $30,000 on one day. Uh, I, think you can, I, I think you can have a beautiful wedding, a very nice wedding, that, and, and make some great memories without having to spend that kind of money. But probably the biggest expense is going to be your venue, right? Oh, that's a huge thing. Because yeah. the venue usually includes your food cost. And because the venue you get is going to line up with, do they then say, no, you have to use our kitchen? Yes. And then is it $15 yeah. a person or $20 a person? And if you invite 200 people at $20 a person, you got four grand. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, the, the space for the reception. I mean, the venue cost is huge. Yeah. So I, I just want, we want to cover a couple of these uh, expenses just to give you an idea of this expense, right? Photographer, a little over $2,700. Reception and band, 4156 is what it typically goes for, right around that <laughs> number. Florist, 2500 Videographer, if you choose to do that, it's about 2000 Of course, the wedding dress itself. Now, this one surprises me. It says $1,564. I think it could be way more than that yes. if you don't watch it. Yes. Right? So can you see how just these five, six that we mentioned – Automatically total up to ten to twelve thousand dollars, and oh, then yeah. from that well, the you venue add the venue for another 16. fifteen thousand. Right. right. So right there, you're at almost that thirty thousand we're talking about. Yeah, and that doesn't include the wedding cake and the musicians and the invitations and party favors and the rehearsal dinner. Somebody's gonna have to pay for dinner that night. Yep. Uh, you know, hiring an efficient, an efficient. I'm not even sure how to say it, and I are one. <laughs> so, so I mean, remember the pastor or the person who's leading that ceremony yeah. and bless them. And so yeah. hiring the efficient, the catering, the wedding day hair care, the makeup. Oh, there's yeah. so many there's little so things many that go things. into this, right? Yeah, and so, if you're not careful, every single one of those can send you off. Oh you yeah, know, fighting, absolutely. fighting each other over every little thing. Especially if you don't have, you know, full-time jobs at the time, or maybe only one of you is working full-time and you're having to save like crazy to make this happen. Oh, you could be like Leo and Natalie and have a total of five jobs between the two of you. I mean, you can make it happen. You can have a good wedding yeah. uh, without debt, but you've got a plan. Absolutely. And there is one other aspect of this. I know that there's a tradition, at least in our country, where the uh, bride's parents pay Right. But even with that, if you're the groom and you're looking at your future in-laws paying all this money, you want to be wise about the choices that you and your future bride is making. She may want this fairy tale wedding, but you have perspective and you can add to that. And between the two of you have the wisdom to keep that in check. Don't let it become uh, a source of, of tension between you and your future family. So there are many things to consider. Again, these are all financially related issues that I think if you just have good open communication, you can get through them and actually enjoy the journey. 
So we want to thank you for joining us for the second episode of this series. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to rate and review and especially subscribe to our podcast. You can do so on iTunes, on any other Android app that you listened your podcast on. And really, just we just love for you to be able to connect with us and let us know how we're doing, how we can help you, how we can do better to serve you in this area of finances. You can also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And while you're there, please connect with us, follow us, uh, share some of the things that we post so that more and more people are exposed to this vital financial podcast and information. You can find the show notes to this episode and more content and resources at leosabo.com. And don't forget to go to stewardshippastors.com where you can find a lot of information about stewardship and managing money from a biblical perspective. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep getting money right. Are you aware that housing should be no more than 35% of your net take-home pay? Well, that's a big deal because a lot of times it's like, oh, I really want to live here and I want to have this size home and I want to be in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to put healthy boundaries around this, 35% of our take-home pay, let's talk about that.